Well, you know things are different when Shane Looper comes up here without a tie. Dean Happ is here in the first service. And the guy who's going to preach doesn't have a tie on. So things are afoot here. Uh, we're doing a series on the family this month. Every May we do this. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, Phil started this, and he talked about God's design for the church, what it was to look like, how it was to function, perform. And then last week, Matt challenged us to be committed to our family, to stay, to love, and to pray. Well, this week we're going to take a look at attacks on the family. The family is under attack. In fact, when Phil listed all the ways that our society, our culture, has redefined family, that represents an attack on the family. That's our culture, our world's way of going against what God designed for the church. See, we have three enemies, three forces that oppose the things of God in our lives. One is the world and the world's philosophies. It doesn't match up to God's rule. It's always trying to, to rebel. Our second enemy is, is Satan. He does not want us to succeed. He does not want the things of God's design to carry through. And we ourselves are the third enemy. Our sin nature all works against doing the things that God wants us to do. So, Phil just introduced slightly the redefining of the family. And that's the world's opposition to God. Satan is the ultimate uh, enemy or opposer of God. Whatever God says, if he says white, Satan is going to say black. It's just the opposite. He attacks the family, for he opposes all of the things that God designs. And God has designed the family. Matt referred last week to C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. Now, in that little book, and it's just, it's just maybe 75 pages, you might want to get it. It was written, I don't know, 75, 60, 70 years ago. But in this book, C.S. Lewis illustrates Satan's temptations of Christians. And screw tape is, is kind of a higher-up demon. And his job, his desire is to bring down, is to tempt Christians. Bring them down. Make them fall. He's writing to his nephew, Wormwood. He's a junior demon, a junior tempter. And so he's writing these letters to his nephew, telling him how to tempt these new Christians. And here's what he says. And Matt referred to this. It's about this new Christian's relationship to his mother. When two humans have lived together for many years, it usually happens that each has tones of voice 
and expressions of face which are irritating to the other. Work on that. Bring fully into the consciousness of your patient, that's the Christian, that particular lift of his mother's eyebrow, which he learned to dislike in the nursery, and let him think how much he dislikes it. Let him assume that she knows how annoying it is and does it just to annoy him. And of course, never let him suspect that his tones and his looks, which also annoy her, it is, you see, it is one of the ways that the enemy, our enemy, Satan, seeks to destroy our testimony, our, steal our joy, and distract us from our service to God. Well, as I said, the third enemy is ourselves. The family is being torn apart from within. It is we who are destroying the family. You know, just take a look at the divorce rate, domestic violence, abuse, neglect, rebellion, defiance, miscommunication, non-communication, despair, estrangement, the list goes on and on. They all wreak havoc on the family. We see its deadly effects daily. And unfortunately, the statistics for Christian families are not unlike those of non-Christian families. We attack the family. Let me tell you a little about a family in crisis. This family is a large family with many children. And the, the father makes a mistake by favoring one of the kids. In fact, it's the youngest boy in the family. He favors him, and then he showers him with gifts. And then, well, that makes the brothers, especially the brothers, jealous. And then, to make matters worse, the younger brother tattles. He tattles on the, the bigger brothers. Tattles on them big time. So... He's favored by the father. The father showers him with gifts. He tattles on them. And then, to top it all off, he says, I'm going to rule over you guys. I'm going to be your boss. Do you, do you know who the family is? Okay, let's, let's take a look at the family. This is Jacob's family. And the, the younger brother is Joseph. So, um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 37. If not, we'll have that on the screen. It's, it's a rather lengthy portion, but bear with us as we um, look at this section in Genesis 37. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Big mistake, guys. He had wives. Big mistake. Tough enough living with one, right? And he um, brought uh, their father a bad report about them. He tattled. Now Israel, that's, that's Jacob. God turned his name into Israel. Now Israel loved Joseph 
more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. So he showered him with gifts. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. And he could not speak a kind, they could not speak a kind word to him. You see how this is escalating from jealousy to hatred? Going on, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to the dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to him. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept that matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. Now they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and they threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a cavern, excuse me, a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And you know the rest of the story, don't you? But we... We see an escalation of things here, which started out to some jealousy because the father loved one more than the other and favored him and gave him gifts. I remember there was tension in my, in my family because my grandmother supposedly liked me better than my brother and my cousin. I endeared myself to my grandmother. And one Christmas, she, she always gave us the same gift. One Christmas, the boys, uh, my brother and my cousin, opened their little envelope, and there were four dollar bills in there. And I opened mine, and I said, hey, I got five. They, they didn't <laughs> like that. The jealousy, it happens in families. That's, that's an attack, and Satan can use that. Not only did they do this to their brother, but they did it to their dad. They went back and told their dad that he'd been killed. They made him suffer. This is an example of what can happen when little things like jealousy can turn into big things like hatred and then attempt to murder. 
kidnapping and all, all that sort of stuff. It can happen to any family. You see, there are little annoyances that grow into big things. A, f- a father's favoritism, a special gift. Small annoyances turn into serious misbehavior. It happens all the time. Minor issues escalate and ruin a family. We're going to look at Solomon chapter 2, verse 15. The Song of Solomon is, is actually a story of two lovers. And here's what they say, the lovers. They say, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. So here's the principle we find in this verse. The foxes are anything or anyone that can ruin a relationship. Little foxes are little annoyances that left unresolved can ruin a family. I asked my teenage grandkids last week, what are the little foxes that affect your relationships? My 17-year-old granddaughter said, It's when they leave the toilet seat up. She said it's when my boyfriend would rather go to watch a sporting event than go out with me. My wise 15-year-old said it's all about communication. You got to communicate. Well, whether they are little foxes or big foxes, you know, they can... They can ruin, they can, they can turn into elephants that trample a family. Randy Elkhorn expresses it this way in a book that's an updated version of screw tape letters. It's called Falgren's Letters. It's an easy read. You might want to get it. Randy Elkhorn, Lord Falgren's Letters. He's, he's like screw tape, and he's writing to his protege, Squaltain. Here's what he says about this new Christian named Fletcher who handles badly a situation with his teenage son. I was delighted to hear about Fletcher lashing out at his brat. I'd like to throttle him myself. As long as you can keep him from asking forgiveness or convince him he's failed so badly there's no use even trying We have him. As for his children, nothing more effectively keeps vermin from the carpenter's father than an earthly father who makes a big deal out of being a Christian and acts like a jerk. Unfortunately, you won't get Fletcher to wail on his son every night, but you can wear him down with the daily grind, the little indulgences, the mundane compromises, Go for the great sins if you can, but never underestimate the cumulative power of the little ones, the little foxes. So what are some of the other foxes? They're not always little. Some of the other foxes that can ruin a family. We've already seen in Jacob's family that parental favoritism may create jealousy that can devour a family. Here are some major ones. I picked some that I've dealt with in my own life. 
First one is distractions. Today's family has so many activities. They're going in so many different directions. They're fragmented. They're scattered. The parents work long hours. The kids are left alone. And when the kids become teenagers, then their plates are full. Their plates are full with sporting events, uh, video games, friends, Facebook. They're going in all directions. So family cohesiveness and unity can easily be torn apart. Before you know it, you have a house full of strangers. They're all doing their own thing. Second is misunderstandings. You know, we, we people speak the same language. And yet we're prone to get the wrong message. We don't share our true feelings or we don't share anything at all. As a result, we hurt each other unintentionally. We can get derailed so easily. It's like two ships passing in the night. No communication. We lose sight of the love and the connection that we have with with each other and our family. The third is an inability to handle conflict. This really hits home on me. Some of us are good at sweeping problems under the rug. That was me. I didn't want to deal with conflict, confrontation, and so I would sweep it under the rug, hopes that it would go away. Now, fortunately, my, my wife, my dear wife, wouldn't let me do that. Every time I swept it under the rug, she would lift the rug up, and, and we had, she forced me to, to deal with it. But a lot of us are like that. We can't stand arguing and all that comes with conflict. So we just ignore it in hopes it will go away. It is exactly when communication is most difficult that it is most necessary. And I've learned that lesson. These little foxes become then big things like bitterness, silence, numbness, can destroy a family. The fourth one, unfulfilled expectations. You heard this one, honey? Proverbs thirteen twelve says, Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. Hope deferred is when your expectations, when your hopes aren't fulfilled. We have so, uh, such high hopes for our family. We expect it to be perfect. It never is. Wives expect their husbands to be knights with shining armor on riding on white horses. And we are not that, never will be. Husbands expect their wives to be little Miss Homemaker. Parents expect their little angels to be good all the time. And children expect their parents to be Santa Claus or their best friend. It's just not going to happen. And when these expectations are not fulfilled, we get discouraged. We can become cynical, pessimistic, hopeless. Well, the fifth one is the sin nature. 
It's what's in our heart. The medieval church compiled a list of seven deadly sins, seven cardinal sins, in order to protect and guard against ungodliness. You can see these on the screen now. They can all enter into play in the dysfunction and demise of the family. And every one of those reveal a potential darkness in our hearts. Pride, envy, anger, laziness, greed, gluttony, and lust. When we take a look at pride, we see it's a love for ourselves, a love for me. Time magazine, it's the last issue, and the cover says, the me, me, me generation. They are lazy, entitled, and narcissistic. Well, they were talking about young people, 20, in, uh, 15 to 25, 30 years old. They can say that about every generation because it's part of who we are. We are selfish, self-centered. And that self-centeredness can create a, a, a chasm between family members. No thinking of each other. No saying we're sorry. No forgiveness. Instead of a family serving one another, it's every man or woman, girl or boy for herself, himself. Envy. Envy is more than wanting what the other has. It is taking pleasure in the misfortune of others. Joseph's brothers were envious of him and took pleasure in doing away with him. Well, that happens in the family. It's not just wanting something that the other has. It's wanting them to fail, wanting them to be miserable, and so on. Anger. Anger led to, well, jealousy became anger, and it led to the first murder. You remember Cain and Abel. Cain was jealous because Abel's gift was received, accepted by God, and he killed him out of anger. It flares up so quickly in, in, in the hearts of each one of us. Laziness. Laziness stifles the fight that we should have for our families. We should be fighting for our families, and sometimes we get lazy about it. It can make us content with the status quo, even when the status quo is unhealthy, because we're lazy. We don't want to work on it. A family, a healthy family, takes work. We can't rest, we can't relax. Commitment is not for the lazy. Greed. Greed partners with selfishness to worm its way into our relationships. We want to do, we want others to do more and more for us. And in so doing, we find that we are doing less and less for them. Greed can never be satisfied. It's always resulting in discontentment. Gluttony. Philippians 3.19 says about the enemies of the cross of Christ that God, their God is their stomach. 
We have a huge appetite, whether it's for food, things, attention, control. Again, quoting C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters. This is what he says about gluttony. But what do quantities matter, provided we can use a human belly and palate to produce querulousness? Now, I had to look that up. No, I had to ask my wife what querulousness means. It means that complaining spirit. Impatience, uncharitableness, and self-concern. All that falls under this idea of gluttony. And then finally, lust. What a destroyer of the family lust is. The scriptures give us warning after warning of dangers and temptations of lust and the deadly damage that it causes the family. Just look at King David. What, what happened there with his family because of lust. Dee and I were weeding a, a few days ago I hate weeding, but it's something we can do together. And what we had done, we had rototilled a whole section around, around a garden area that we were going to either turn into a stone or grass. And we rototilled it and took out all the weeds. And then we rototilled it once more and we took out all the weeds. And then we left for three weeks. We went to Oklahoma. And we came back. You, you all know what happened. The weeds were back. You've got to go deep when you weed. And so it's the same about sin in our lives. You've got to go deep into your heart to get rid of the weeds of your life. Unless we look deeply into our hearts, we will not take care of those things. The surface behaviors may be, but if we ignore the roots of our problems. Now, weeding of the sin nature is hard work, constant work. Well, I'm going to return to this verse. Catch for us, the foxes. Catch for Who are the lovers saying that to? It may be to God. God, catch those things. Get rid of those things that affect us. And it can be other people around us. The church should help catch the foxes for each other. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm trying to help you catch the foxes by alerting you, letting you know there are foxes that can ruin your relationship. But we, unfortunately, avoid help. I don't know if it's pride or self-reliance or shame Guilt. There are things that cause us not to want other people to know about our problems. We don't want to air our dirty laundry. And so we don't ask for help. We don't ask people to catch the foxes for us. But Galatians 6.2 says that we are to carry each other's burdens, thus fulfilling the law of Christ. We need to help each other and carry each other's burdens. Well, I want to give you five or six uh, fox catchers in closing. Matt's already referred to the first. Last week he said we need to be praying for each other. Pray for our family. 
Don't underestimate the power of prayer. We should be in constant prayer for our families. I asked my small group last week or a couple weeks ago, how often do you pray for your family? And we had a whole wide spectrum. We had Jim and Penny Starr who said, we have committed to pray for our family every day. I can't honestly say that I've, I've done that. But don't underestimate the power of prayer. Unfortunately, we, we sometimes pray only when we're desperate, when we have our backs to the wall. Well, we ought to be proactive about our prayer. Don't pray just when things are bad. Pray proactively. Secondly, we need to become other-centered. We are so self-centered, we have to ask God to change our hearts so that we become other-centered. Here's what Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look out not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, to paraphrase President Kennedy's inaugural address some 50 years ago, he said, ask not what you, your country can do for you, but what your country can do, what you can do for your country. Well, let's say that about the family. Don't ask what your family can do for you. Ask what you can do for your family. The third is to come alive. Foxes can easily sap our energy. When things get tough, we just get, we just get down. We can't do anything about it. Hopelessness and despair comes in like a fog. Members of the family can give up, shut down, shut down their emotions. And our hearts become hardened. What we need to do is come alive and we need to scrape the calluses off our hearts. It happens to each one of us. Come alive and be, be feeling for each other and, 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 and not just dead to one another. Jesus came to give us abundant life. Well, don't kill that. The fourth, and it's one that Matt referred to, is, is love. Here's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Get that. It, takes, it keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Matt referred to the fifth one. It's to forgive. It's a small word, but it's very difficult at times. We need to be forgiving. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ, as in Christ God forgave you. You know, haven't we been forgiven much? And why is it so difficult to forgive others? And then the last one, and if you 
Remember anything about this message. Remember this one. Grace. Grace is empowering, enabling power. It's God empowering you to do something that is very difficult to do. Here's what Jesus says. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains or abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. That's in the family, too. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't do any of these fox-catching things without the grace of God. Let's pray. We love you. We are prone to sin. As Rob mentioned, we are sinners. And in so doing, we mess things up in our families. But we pray, Lord, that you would give us grace to walk after your ways, to be like Jesus, to strengthen our families. Help us, Lord, do that. Help us catch the foxes in our lives. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.